Nice to see everybody. Now, Psalm 73 is on page 414 in the red Bibles that have the no particular rectangle around them. And the other one is 586. So 414 and 586. And it's lovely to be here today and it's lovely to have um, Rowan and his family here. And uh, I'm usually at at camp, so I'm not usually here on this day, but it's really great to be here. This is a lovely psalm. When I was going through it this morning, I had in my Bible some of the verses marked, and I thought, it's ages since I've read them, but um, they're really good ones. It's a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say... How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I would speak, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So here's a change now. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, 
It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Praise him indeed. Father, thank you that you are not silent, but that you reveal yourself to us, uh, principally through your Son, the Lord Jesus, and through uh, your word, that by your Spirit you inspired. And so we pray, as we read your word now, that you, by your Spirit, would encourage us. Would you take us to see its fullness in the Lord Jesus? And would you do us good in Jesus' name? Amen. This morning we're looking at Psalm 73, and the kind of approach that I want us to look at it this morning is, particularly through the lens of it as a thematic psalm, so we're going to focus particularly on some of the themes that emerge from it. Psalm 73, the book of Psalms is made up of five books, and this is the first in what is called Book 3. And if you go from Psalm 73 onwards, for the next couple of Psalms, it gets quite dark. Uh, it's the, the entry into the kind of darker Psalms, which speak of our human existence and some of the kind of questions that we often wrestle with as believers. And so I've titled today's psalm, A Psalm for the Restless, because in this psalm we see, particularly in the first 14 verses, that the psalmist here, known as Asaph, was, was restless. And it's something that we've probably all experienced in some measure, that sense of not being at ease, of something feeling wrong within ourselves, perhaps, or perhaps in the world. See, the psalmist in, in this psalm, even from those early verses, sees those around him, they seem trouble-free and prospering, and he envies them. He's unsettled by that, particularly because he has sought to please the Lord, and so he feels restless. And this restlessness is a real risk to him almost, because it almost causes him, it tells us in verse 2, to stumble. And this points us to something. Restlessness, this feeling that we all experience at some point in time, is a real risk. Because it has the real potential, as it did for the psalmist, to derail us from following Jesus. As we read these verses, they could be true of us as well. For often we too can look around, can't we? And we can see others who seem to have no regard for following Jesus, and they seem to be trouble-free and prospering. And it's easy, isn't it, to envy them. And so it has the potential, as it did for the psalmist, to derail us in following Jesus. And that's why this psalm is a real gift to us, because it helps us think about how do we not get derailed in following Jesus by this sense of restlessness. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And the psalmist, in a way, applies some, what I've called first aid, to this feeling of restlessness. But before we apply first aid, as with any injury, uh, you first have to help see a diagnosis of what is wrong. And that's what the psalmist does for us in these first 14 verses, when he speaks about restlessness. 
Well, what is restlessness? Well, at its core, at its core, it is a disordering of love. And I'm going to use some help here from a theologian from the 5th century, Augustine. He wrote an extensive meditation, almost a prayer, called the Confessions. And in it, he begins with these words, and they're printed at the top of your outline. It says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. Augustine, the theologian here, recognises that God created us and he created us to take delight in him, to love him, to find our happiness and our sense of, of self and our rest in him. And Augustine, in his confessions, though, he speaks of his own sense of restlessness, of seeking rest and happiness in, in other things, what he calls lovely things or created things, many of them good things, but ultimately, these things can't deliver rest. They were never created to. It was a disordering of loves, as he calls it. And only later, with the Spirit's insight, does he conclude that he was restless until he finds his rest in God. Now, if we're honest too, we often feel restless, and we can too try to find rest in other things, our delight, our happiness, our purpose in other things, often good things, but again, these things were never designed for us to find our rest and hope in. And so restlessness is this feeling that probably describes much of our human existence, particularly as we seek to find a sense of rest in the things of this world. And our psalmist today in Augustine says, our heart is going to be restless until we find our rest in God. But restlessness also has other negative symptoms. We see these in verses 1 to 14, which we're about to go into. We see disappointment, we see discontentment, and we see envy. See, the psalmist in, in verses 1 to 14, he, he looks at others. They have healthy, sleek bodies, read beautiful bodies. They are connected, they seem to have no responsibility. And what makes this hard to swallow for him is that these others seem to have no care for God. This is not how it should be. He sought to be pure in heart, but it seemed not to be working out for him. You see in verse 3, For I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. And he goes on in those verses, which Jackie read out for us so well. And as he looks around, you can see him start to question God's goodness and his ways. Up to the point in verses 13 and 14 where he begins to, to question God. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted. But every morning seems to bring new punishments. As he looks at others, he looks at their, their seeming prosperity. He, he, he knows what's meant to be their end if they don't follow God, their destruction. But it seems as if it's not working out that way. It seems as if as, he's, as looking at the world and looking at others, 
everything seems to be reversed. And he questions God. In vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I followed you. And perhaps you've felt this way as well. In our media age, often uh, we can look at the world around us or others, often on a screen as we scroll through our, our feeds. Perhaps on Instagram, as you go through your feeds, you can see what we don't have. We can see where we haven't been, who we are not with, what body we don't inhabit, what things we haven't accomplished. Everyone looks so happy and fulfilled through the filter of social media, for instance. These seemingly are happy and fulfilled people everywhere we look, and, and some of them don't have any regard for God. They seem to be doing life better. Have we in vain kept our heart following Jesus? Well, rather than being attuned to what we do have, often, if I speak truthfully of myself, I have eyes only for what I don't have or see what others have. And we can feel like following Jesus is not working out for us. Others seem to have no care for him. They seem happier, healthier, less troubled, less afflicted. Why not toss it in? We become disappointed, discontent and envying others. So you can see how this has a real potential to threaten us in our discipleship. And this probably affects us at our different ages differently. The things that we might look at, the picture of the good life for us. Well, with the help of Augustine and the psalmist, we've seen what can easily derail us, his sense of restlessness. And in these first 14 verses, I think that the point of which is to take us with him, to fill the depths of this sense of restlessness before he administers to us some first aid. But he does so in the coming verses. He gives us three doses of first aid. The first is perspective, the second is penitence, and the third is praise. And I'll move through those quickly for us. The first thing the psalmist administers to us is perspective. And Jackie pointed this out helpfully for us in, in the reading. In verses 16 and 17, we see a shift in the psalm. We see a lift almost. It says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. This experience that he had of entering the sanctuary of God brought New vision, new eyes, new perspective. It lifted his gaze. It comes through entering the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary most likely here refers to the tabernacle in the temple. This is the place where God's presence is known amongst his people. It is where they remember who they are, or rather, whose they are. They are the Lord's covenant people. And as the Lord's covenant people, he has covenanted himself to them through promises of a future, of a people, of a place. And in the psalm we see that this experience of entering the sanctuary, of recognising whose he is, 
re-collaborated his perspective. By entering God's sanctuary, by lifting his eyes, he was able to see things as they truly were. As we look around and we can see healthy bodies, as we see people prospering, it can seem like that is what's real. But here he's given real perspective of real reality. He's lifted from the temporary to the eternal, from present realities to ultimate realities. His eyes lift from created things to the creator. He is given right perspective. See, overwhelmed with pictures and promises of the good life, we too can lose perspective. We can begin to think that life is about the, the attainment of lovely things or health or wealth or whatever it is. But that is to make ends That is to treat these things as ends where we will find rest and happiness. And so you can see how easily we slip into envy of others and even resentment of God. So we too need the perspective that this psalmist had. We need the perspective that the Spirit provides. And we too remember it through entering God's presence. We remember God's presence, not the tabernacle itself, but when God in his Son as John 1 put it, tabernacled or made his dwelling with us. We recognise it in the person of Jesus. That perspective comes through gathering under his word and around his table. This gives us a sense of perspective when we recognise not only who we are, but whose we are in Christ and being adopted into his family. So as we enter the sanctuary, as we remember that Our identity is found in Christ. This provides us with a perspective to know that we are God's new covenant people adopted into his family. So we too can have the perspective that the Spirit provides to see things as they really are. So the psalmist for restless souls administers first aid. Firstly, he gives perspective. But then he moves to his next dose which is what I've called penitence, in verses 21 to 23. See, as the psalmist has this right perspective about the reality of things, recognising whose he is and the outcome of the ways of those who disregard God, it rightly humbles him and it leads him into a confession of sorts or penitence. He recognises his error. He recognises that his, his envy has actually hurt him. Verse 2, he had almost slipped, he'd lost his foothold, he had envied them. But his envy, envy had also hurt others in verse 15. He would have led others astray in his own wrestlings with this. But ultimately, it was an offence to God and his ways. He had been ignorant and arrogant towards God, and we see this in verse 22. He likens his envy, his lack of perspective, to being beast-like. It's a confession of sorts. But we see him name that. He comes before God and says, I have been as a beast toward you. And as we come to God with confession and humble ourselves, God always meets us with grace and kindness. And that's what we see here. In verse 23, 
It says, yet, yet I am always with you. This God speaking. You hold me by your right hand. It's a picture of, of restoration. He's been troubled and burdened with perspective. He humbles himself and there is this great unburdening. And we too, in our restlessness, ought to follow this script that he provides. Having been given perspective, we can come before God in recognition that we haven't seen reality correctly. And we can know that God will meet us in our repentance, as he always does, with the promise of forgiveness and restoration, which is ours in Jesus well, his third dose then moves to praise. There is a movement here from perspective to humility to penitence, and that leads to praise. And this is where we get to the high point in verses 25 and 26. And the psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Having been given perspective, having been humbled, and having come before God in a confession of sorts, it leads him to praise. Whom have I in heaven but you? He sees things as they really are. He means, if I don't have you, I have nothing. I will be endlessly restless Nothing will satisfy or last. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. For the psalmist here, God is the one to enjoy. God is the one in whom he will find his rest. What makes heaven heaven is that God is there. We will be caught up in a never-ending fountain of joy, delight and adoration in the new heavens and the new earth. You see this movement? When he is worried he'll miss out, when he is restless, he moves from perspective to penitence, which results in praise whom I have in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever and so this psalm becomes for us a beautiful script and we read this psalm through the lens of the New Testament through Christ so we know that when we miss out or when we might experience suffering that we can draw near, or rather that God draws near to us, not in a temple, but in a person. And we can have forgiveness, restoration, and the hope of a future. And that future is with him. Perspective leading to penitence, resulting in praise. What's interesting in the New Testament is we see a similar script in the story of the prodigal son that Jesus teaches. In Luke 15, we see a son, a wayward son, reject his father. He takes his gifts and uses them as ends in themselves, and he squanders them. But he has this moment amongst the squalor of pigs when he has squandered everything, 
and he desires to eat the feed of the pigs, he gets perspective. He remembers his father's fare, his father's goodness. And his perspective leads him to humble himself. He comes to the father in confession through penitence. And as he comes and he's rehearsing how he will humble himself before his father, the confession that he'll come with, we see that his father sees him a long way off and goes out to meet him and restores him. And there is great thanksgiving, perspective leading to penitence, leading and resulting in praise. It's a lovely little parallel script we see there. Well, what does it mean for us this morning? Well, we are worried that we will miss out, or when we look around, perhaps in the midst of our own frailty and suffering, and we see others who seem to be doing well, when we are choosing the path to follow Jesus, when that is difficult, and no one else seems to be, and those who don't seem to be seem to be doing better than we're doing, how does this psalm speak to us in our restlessness? Well, it helps to reorient our hearts in the way it did for the psalmist. See, we too can ask the Spirit to give us perspective. We too can humble ourselves with penitence with the result of praise, living rightly ordered lives of gratitude, delighting in taking refuge in Jesus. And that is what we do when we come together each week. We walk out that story, as it were. Well, to close, I want to offer one more dose of first aid. And this one from Jesus, not from the psalmist. See, the psalmist here wants us to consider the ends of those who follow God and those who don't. But ultimately, it's to woo us to take our refuge and to find our rest in God. And often as we read the scriptures, we see this kind of push and pull effect. The scriptures draw us, but they also challenge us. And Jesus leaves us word, a word of challenge uh, that I want to leave us with today as well that we would find our rest in him. In Mark 8, which I think you've been looking at Mark's gospel previously, Jesus has just said that he is the Messiah. He's God's chosen king to bring about God's kingdom. And he will do this by way of the cross and resurrection. And then Jesus, after he identifies himself as the Messiah, talks about what it looks like to follow him. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. We know that God calls us to find our rest and happiness of him, yet Jesus tells us that the way to this rest is through the path of self-denial. And This is a strange thing for us. We live in an instant age. We don't wait for anything now. Everything is at our fingertips. Yet the path that we're told here is involving self-denial, involves delayed gratification, involves a cost to follow his ways and not our own. And to do so it will mean that we need to view things from an eternal rather than a temporary perspective. It will mean that we will follow Jesus and not the world on lifestyle and ethical choices. It will mean that the advancement of the gospel supersedes our own plans and desires. It will mean that we put ourselves last and others first. It will be dying to ourself. So there is a cost to following Jesus, and we will miss out on some things. And we rightly and soberly need to weigh this up. 
But these words come with a promise that Jesus goes on to say in verses 35 and 36. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus promises that actually the path through self-denial is the path to rest and happiness. Following Jesus brings rest to restless souls. Last year marked the 65th anniversary of the death of missionaries Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming and Roger Udurian. They were five missionaries who were speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador in 1956. They were in their late 20s and early 30s. Remarkably, in subsequent years, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, went back to continue their work amongst the family members, and eventually many put their trust in Christ. But they gave up their lives so that others might hear the words of life. And that can seem foolish, can't it? But hear these words of Jim Elliot from his journal, these now famous words. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You can hear the words of Jesus. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, our calling may not be to take the gospel to hostile places such as this, it may be for some of us, but our world is increasingly hostile to the gospel. And so here we hear a word of challenge. The practice of every disciple is to die to self daily, to live for Jesus and the advancement of his gospel. But actually this is, Jesus promises us, the path to rest and happiness. We can't do this in our own strength. We need the Spirit's help. But Jesus promises us new eyes to see the world the right way up, the path where up is down, where denying yourself is actually the way to fullness, where losing your life is the way to gaining it. And the reality is that this experience, as it's lived, is felt more and more. But let's ask the Spirit to be at work in us to help us see and to do this. Let me close with Jim Elliot's words again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for your word that it provides us with an honest script for how we often feel in life. But we thank you that it leaves us with perspective and hope that our rest and our happiness are ultimately found in whose we are. And we thank you for the work of your, as Father, Son and Spirit to draw us to yourself through the work of Christ, that we can have confidence that as we live this life, as we sacrifice certain things, that ultimate happiness and rest is found in you. And we thank you for the hope laid up for us in the Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.